0: 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 5. As soon as he, that is David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Scriptures... The history of the church and personal experience all teach us that friendship is a good gift that God provides for His children. The challenge of this passage for us today is to conform our understanding, our American modern understanding of friendship as disposable, temporary, and insignificant towards the biblical definition of friendship that is lasting, that is an integral part of our lives. Meanwhile, the encouragement of this passage for us today is that God provides. God provides for David a friend in Jonathan, and he provides for us most of all today a friend in Jesus Christ. So we think of the covenant first that Jonathan made with David. When we think of a covenant, it's really likely, and this is the case for me as I began to study this passage, that we think first of a marriage covenant or especially of God's covenant with Abraham, his God's covenant with David, God's covenant with Noah, and the new covenant that is sealed in Christ's blood. But here we have a covenant between friends, a promise, uh, um, it's almost like a contract in a way of support that Jonathan and David will be loyal to one another, will support each other, will care for each other and uh, this has a lasting impact. Verse 1 said, Their souls were knit together. As soon as he, that is David, finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Again, this is a confrontation of our modern understanding of friendship as temporary, as disposable, as insignificant. This is the opposite Here we have a friendship that will last. We have a a vision, a view of brotherly affection for one another that is so life-giving to David and to Jonathan throughout the rest of their lives. Unfortunately, this passage, as I was reading commentaries, could be easily misinterpreted by our overly sexualized culture and there is... A rampant misinterpretation um, just in the last two generations that there would be some kind of sexual interest between David and Jonathan because of this description of how close they are to one another. And that is a, a terrible, even a grave, misunderstanding of what the text is teaching us. That misunderstanding of this passage reveals far more of our cultural idolatry of sexuality than it does of the true relationship between David and Jonathan. Our culture is so obsessed with with sexuality that it's injected into almost any close relationship that people would find in the scriptures. And that is, again, the serious error of so much modern interpretation, especially of a passage like this. These are men who care deeply about one another and they have a deep brotherly affection towards each other. They care about one another's well-being. They they have things uh, in in, 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 um, in common with one another. And um, one of those things, if we look at the context, is that both of them are mighty in battle. This is right on the heels of David's Defeat of Goliath. In fact, in the opening verse, you could tell this is almost the end of the story of David's defeat of Goliath. As soon as David finished speaking to Saul, that is, after David kills Goliath and Saul approaches him, as soon as that happened, Jonathan, it says, loved him as his own soul. Why would that spark in Jonathan an appreciation for David? That would be a good question to ask. To answer that question, we need. Only to look at the context, look a little bit earlier in in um, the story. So again, David has just defeated uh, Goliath in First Samuel 17, and if you were to turn the page to First Samuel 14. Jonathan had a similar defeat of the Philistine army himself. Now, he didn't defeat the champion of the Philistines, an imposing figure like a giant Goliath, but Jonathan in 1 Samuel 14, you could even look back there in in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 14, where um, you could see at the beginning, Jonathan defeats the Philistines. And I'll summarize the story for you that Jonathan almost single-handedly went and defeated a large number of Philistines. He was mighty in battle. He was a skilled warrior. And so given that context and given what David has just done in defeating Goliath, Jonathan sees uh, this is a man who will go and fight for the name the name of the Lord, who will go and fight for Israel just like Jonathan has already done in 1 Samuel 14. It, it's interesting that... Um, Jonathan in 1 Samuel 14 is doing that which Saul would not do, his father. David is doing in 1 Samuel 17 that which Saul would not do, who is king over Israel. And so they have a common bond in, in going into battle to fight for the Lord's renown. So that's one of the reasons that we can say they would have had sort of a, a struck a chord or, or hit it off quickly. But the most important similarity that fused these these men together in friendship was their love for the Lord, their love for God. That is so evident in the other passages that we'll read about David's life. Of course, we know of David's faith. We know that he's described as a man after God's own heart. He loved to sing to the Lord, to make music for the Lord, and even ministered to, to Saul with um, the spiritual songs that he had written, and David also proves—or sorry, Jonathan also proves—in years following this passage that he loves God even more than he loves his own father, and so David or Jonathan will go God's way, even where Saul wants him to uh, to disobey God's law, to to um, turn back on the covenant that Jonathan has made with David. But it's important to recognize that this friendship is not only in word, it is solidified through actions. That's the second thing that we see in these five verses that real friendship requires sacrifice. And so they don't just make a covenant and go their separate ways. Wow, that was a really nice thing to say. No. We find in verse 4, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. Some of the most valuable possessions that Jonathan had, he gave to David. And again, this kind of signifies that they're not only friends, but that they're brothers in arms. There's a kind of military connotation to the gifts, of course, that he gives. Why? Because Jonathan was a great warrior. David was a great warrior as well. And these men are going to to fight for Israel. So, it's easy for people to say they're friends. But when life gets difficult, your friends are those people who will sacrifice something for your good, will sacrifice something to help you, who will follow up words with actions. Some of the greatest examples of friendship in history are told during times of war. Why is that? Because it's, it's so often those war stories include moments where a friend, uh, a comrade, would put his own life in danger for the sake of his fellow soldiers. There's a renowned miniseries based on a group of friends called Easy Company, Band of Brothers. These men fought alongside one another during World War II and there were, there were bonds, there were friendships that were formed in the trenches during battle that anybody who has not experienced could, could not really understand. And so once again, that's not any kind of sexualized relationship. That's people supporting one another, giving up their own good for the good of the other even sacrificing their safety so that a friend might survive, might live. In the same way that Jonathan sacrificed to prove his love for David, the men in that platoon of soldiers of Easy Company stepped into harm's way for each other, and the stories live on. And I would even hope that those stories would inspire a deep kind of friendship from people who would watch a mini-series like that or hear a story like this. It's challenging to us, isn't it, to be a better friend when we see such an amazing vision of what friendship can look like. What's clear in First Samuel 18 is that David and Jonathan weren't helpful to one another just out of a sense of duty, but that it was because they truly cared for one another's well-beings one of the ways that paul describes love in 1st corinthians 13 uh, far after this is that love is not self-seeking a loving friend will seek to do what is good for you it isn't just in it for what they get out of it but is in a relationship for the blessing of the other so how does the rest of the story go for these friends how does jonathan fulfill the covenant that he has made with David. Let's look at 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 through 7. So turn there in your Bibles. It won't be on the screen behind me. 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 through 7. There's the reference. I hope that you can um, turn there as well. Now, in this the scenario here, you could see in the title Saul tries to kill David. What's happened is that King Saul has grown to hate David. And he, uh, he's learned that David is a threat to his throne. And we learn here about how Jonathan will respond to Saul's hatred of his best friend. His father's hatred of his best friend. Jonathan is so wise in this passage. Reading, uh, starting at verse 1 of 1 Samuel 19. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, And because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David And Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So here we find Jonathan serving as an intermediary between David and King Saul. Here we find a friend is a peacemaker that Jonathan uses the wisdom the Lord has given him, uh, some skill in diplomacy and creating a plan that would be safe for David and and even to the benefit of Saul to orchestrate this situation where Saul and David can be in one another's presence again. Why does Jonathan do this? It's because he loves his father. He's obeying here the command of the, the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. Da- uh, Jonathan is is helping his father not to sin against David. But it's because Jonathan also loves David as well, and he's going to be faithful to his covenant with him. And so he's working actively to reunite Saul and David. Is this how we are in our own friendships? Working to help people reconcile and reunite with one another do you speak in a way that makes your friend love their spouse more? Young people, do you speak in a way that encourages your friends to obey their parents and honor them? That's exactly what we find Jonathan doing in 1 Samuel 19. The way to be a Christian friend is to work towards restoration, not just to value your friendship with that Person, but to desire that that person would have a full life in all of their relationships and would give wise counsel and even would act in a way that will will bring about restoration in people's relationships. So, we can see another example of Jonathan's loyalty if we turn to the next chapter, um, to 1 Samuel 20, verses 30 through 34, a little bit later in the chapter. And again, just moving very quickly through some of these passages, I want us to see how good of a friend Jonathan is and how wise he is. What a great picture of um, of friendship in the Old Testament we have. And so the situation here, uh, we'll start at verse 30, is that Saul has forsaken the oath he's just made before the Lord. He wants to kill David again. He's extremely impulsive in that way. And Saul is, is slipping further down into insanity. He's slipping into a life ruled by anger and bitterness. And he learns here that Jonathan has been loyal to David. And so we'll find out what Saul says against his own son. Sad. This is a sad um, scenario here, a sad story. Starting at verse 30 of 1 Samuel 20. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, his son. And he said to him, "'You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, "'do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse "'to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? "'For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, "'neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. "'Therefore send and bring him to me, "'for he shall surely die.'" How will Jonathan, This is I mean, can you imagine this, this situation A father saying these terrible things to his son? Will Jonathan be swept up in emotion and react aggressively to Saul? Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. So, the lesson here, a good friend lives by principles, not emotions. A good friend will hold to the word of God, the law of God, despite at times everything that's happening around him or her, will live in God's way even when there is this immense pressure to sin. To forsake the covenant that Jonathan had made with David in 1 Samuel 18. What pressure this would have been to side with his father over his friend. But Jonathan understood through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that David was right and that Saul was acting in an evil way. So, if you come to a friend for advice, don't we all want a friend like Jonathan? A friend who is governed by principles, by wisdom. Jonathan here keeping his head Jonathan living by the values that are taught in the Word of God. A good friend will be clear-headed and self-controlled in their speech. And Jonathan does have emotions. That's not, that wouldn't be a problem. It says here that he is upset by what Saul has said against him. We can certainly understand that. But in his being upset does not sin, but withdraws from Saul. He can't be near him. He knows that it's not good for him to remain there. He needs to go and pray and think about it and support his friend David. So again, if you come to a friend for advice, do you want their response to be governed by their feelings that are happening in that day or do you want the advice of that friend and the actions of that friend to be governed by an unchanging standard of what is good? Jonathan Kept the covenant he made with David, even when it cost him a peaceful relationship with his own father, even where it caused danger as Saul hurls his spear trying to kill his own son. So, two words of application, two applications for us as we think of um, connecting this vision of friendship to our lives today as Christians in the year 2023. First, most importantly, God is a friend to all His people. That God is a friend to you who are in Christ. In the Reformed tradition, we have lots of a, a, a lofty language about the holiness of God, the majesty of God. God is enthroned over his whole creation, all that he has made, and that is absolutely true. God is transcendent, but God is also with you. The Lord is near to all those who call upon him. The Lord is near, close to all those who call upon him in truth, all those who seek him. That God is a friend to those who delight in Him, who delight in His presence, who seek His will, who trust in Jesus. If all this description of a great friendship between Jonathan and David is prompting you to have a longing for that kind of friend, you can know today that you have that kind of friend ultimately in God Himself. You have in God, in Christ, a friend that is unlike any earthly friend. And I know that that's the way that sort of a lot of evangelicals can talk and sometimes it could almost feel like there wouldn't be scriptural support for that because it's so, so close. But we find in James 2, verse 22 and 23, that Abraham is called God's friend. They have a friendship with one another. It's an amazing description. It could could seem trite or cliché to refer to God as a friend, and and we shouldn't let this this teaching just think that God is like our buddy who we chum around with, but He's a friend in a profound, permanent, um, intimate kind of way. James 2, 22 through 23 James writes, You see that faith was active along with Abraham's works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So Abraham believes God, trusts in God, serves God, loves the righteousness of God and the righteous commands that God gives And it's in that context where we learn Abraham is God's friend. Now think again of all that Jonathan was to David. Jonathan's soul was knit to David's. Jonathan sacrificed to bless David. Isn't that seen so clearly in God's friendship of us? That God sacrificed his own son so that we could be restored to relationship to God. Jonathan was a peacemaker who arranged for the restoration of David's relationships. That's God's desire for our lives as well, that he would give us wisdom so that we can thrive not just in a vertical relationship with God, but in our relationships with one another as well. Jonathan was faithful to his covenant promise to David. How much more is God faithful to his covenant promise to us? God does All this towards us. Not out of duty. Not out of need that God needs for us to like Him. Or, you know, there's a song lyric that I don't like very much that heaven isn't complete without us there. It's sort of a a modern evangelical song lyric. That's just not true. That, That God does this out of love for us. And for his name's sake, for his glory's sake, he's not bound by duty to be a friend to us, but he truly loves us for our good. We find an amazing description of Jesus' friendship with his disciples in John 13, 14, and 15. It's a moment where Jesus is preparing to die on the cross, and it's one of the most poignant displays of Jesus' love for his friends before he goes to the cross. Listen to the similarity to Jonathan's actions from 1 Samuel 18 to John 13. You'll see the words of John 13 on the screen. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped Around him, and so Jesus' love for his friends, his his disciples, is accompanied by actions. And I just found it so striking the similarity of Jonathan removing his robe in humility, and Jesus removing his outer garment in humility, and washing his disciples' feet. And then, in the same setting, a little bit later, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Again, this, it's in John 15, so it's a little later in the Bible, but it's in the same setting where, where Jesus is still with them. Having washed their feet, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Just let that soak in for a moment. You are Jesus' friend, his friend, if you do what he commands, if you love him, if you follow him, if you pray, if you uh, seek virtue, you know, biblical virtue in your life, if you do what he commands, you are Jesus' friend. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. When you think of following Jesus, how close is he to you? How close by? Sometimes I'm tempted to think Jesus is so perfect, he's so amazing, so glorious. I would, I would be tempted to think he is so far ahead of me. You know, we have that he is seated by the right hand of the Father. And that's a true statement of where Jesus is. But our temptation in professing that could make us think that he is far away and it's just his Spirit that is with us. But he's right with you like a friend. Like a friend. Through the Spirit, of course, but is right beside us. Washing you like he washed his disciples in a far more profound and lasting spiritual way. That Jesus is with you, caring for you, that Jesus is with you like a friend, sacrificing his own life for your good. What a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a friend we have in Jesus. No one can be a friend to you like Jesus can. No one can save you like Jesus can. No one could give you more than he could give. So, that's the first and most important application that Christ is the greater Jonathan. Just as David, or Christ is the greater David in defeating God's enemies, Christ is the greater Jonathan who is a perfect friend, keeping his covenant with us. Lastly, the application that we need is to be a Christ-like friend to our friends. I often say, and I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, I think one of the most beautiful things that happens at our church are funerals for the saints who have been a part of our fellowship. Funerals of people who have grown in friendship with one another, with people in this church. Funerals where it's often the case that a friend shares about what they will miss about their deceased brother or sister in Christ. It's good, and it it should happen, that family members share at at funerals and family members often have the closest relationships, and that makes good sense. But I always take note when when a friend comes forward to talk about experiences in traveling and in building the ceiling of this church. Friends, <laughs> friends like Bruce and Ted Cigar, <laughs> friends who played games together, went camping together, supported one another, helped each other financially during a season of life that was difficult. And each of those uh, examples, and there are so many during funerals uh, that I've seen at our church, there is all, all, the, all the same characteristics of the friendship between Jonathan and David. There is affection, affection, I never get the sense in those testimonies or or stories that there is any kind of duty that somebody was just, you know, in this relationship because I guess we go to church together, so we we should be friends. No, there's there's real affection, um, brotherly love for one another. There's example of sacrifice, and of course, most importantly, the example of Faith in Christ that grows as a result of the friendship as people serve Jesus, follow Jesus alongside one another. You know, in the annals of church history, there has been one group that stands above the others in giving attention to this matter of friendship. The Quakers. You know that the official name of the denomination that many call Quakers is the Society of Friends. Friends. The society of friends. I always thought that that sounded a little cheesy. The society of friends, I have to confess, until I developed a better theology of friendship from a passage like 1 Samuel 18. A society of friends. A society of love. A society of covenant-keeping people. A society of people who spend time together, care for one another, sacrifice for the good of one another. Again, this denomination's name, the Society of Friends, is, is helpful for, for us and challenging Are we also a society of friends? That name uh, could seem a little trite, but it comes from a deep understanding of the importance of friendship in the Christian journey. So I'll close with this quote from a Quaker theologian, Paul Anderson, which centers us on the friendship of Jesus and challenges us also to live like Jesus. Where he wrote, Jesus no longer calls us servants, but he calls us friends because we are to follow his commands. Here the word friend bears little semblance to a nice social relationship. We are his friends because we are looking in the same direction as he is. And we are partners in the same work. This is the strongest form of chosenness. Because we become members of one another. We are comrades and our successes and failures are shared by all. Amen? And Let's pray.